from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like us. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. We got to This is the Blitz at 6. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, April 8th. Thanks for hanging out this morning and every morning right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hope you're staying safe out there with friends and family as well. Thinking of you in this time up ahead in this hour. We got to hear from Pete Carroll recently. He was on Sirius uh, XM Radio. Talking about how this virtual draft, as we know, will proceed as scheduled, uh, will be different. <laughs> Pete Carroll admitting it will be different this time around, but everything's a competition, right? We've heard that saying before, always compete. And how they plan to use that to their advantage and try to find an edge. We'll hear also from Adam Schefter and maybe a, another coach or two on their concerns. A couple with very different views on it. Also ahead in this hour, Oklahoma State head coach Mike Gundy said Tuesday that his goal is to return to football by May 1st, which seems very unrealistic at this point. And even his athletic director came out and disputed that claim. So we'll hear his comments on why he believes that and college football, how they're dealing this time, plus more on MLB's plan to return by May. Most people seeming to think it is unrealistic including Keith Law, who seemed pretty impassioned by it. So all ahead in this hour, right now let's get to your headlines. Pete Carroll admitting that this time, this draft, now just a few weeks away, it'll be really different. It's going to be fascinating, really. (laughs) Uh, It won't be, I I don't know that it's going to be as much fun because you won't be in the same room with all the guys where all the juice happens and the energy and you get fired up. People are scrambling and battling and all that and the comments are flying. It'll be different in that regard, Um, but... um, We'll figure it out. You know, we'll get it done. <laughs> and, you are awesome. It's, it's, yeah, it's going to be amazing. This was Pete on Sirius Radio. Also chatting about as different as it'll be, they're going to be prepared. It's relative. However, we're trying to work to figure it out, too. You know, Pat, we want to, yeah. where can we find the edge? Where can we find the, the opportunity to, you know, to, to get the information that we need when maybe somebody else wouldn't get it? That's what is fun about this time. You know, it is. It's a total competition. It's, it's the wild, wild west a little bit. we got to figure it out. we all got guidelines and rules and all. But that doesn't mean that there aren't ways in there that you can't figure out how to get what you need to get. So uh, Johnny's you know, prepared that he's not going to have as much as normal, and they won't have the normal process that he would have. But yet we're going to try to max that out in every way that we can. But one of my favorite Pete Carroll quotes of the past, Johnny's got a great process. So we know. Uh, it's going to work out here in Seattle. Although information on draft prospects and the lead up to the draft quite different as of now, and Pete Carroll admitting that it is different, and so we're not have we're not able to get you know get as much information as we normally have. So we have to operate on less information. For instance, think of all of the uh, all of the the workouts that the guys do at their schools. You know, those are huge, uh, a huge factor. We get the film of that workout or we go visit the workout and then we come back and we reevaluate again and we, you know, we'll see a guy with injury issues. We'll see a guy, is he coming back? You know, where is he? We don't have any of that information that we normally have. That's just one, one example of it. 
Uh, Adam Schefter saying yesterday, IT staff and coaches both concerned about the virtual draft. We'll get to John Harbaugh's comments here in a minute. IT guys on football teams have become the most valuable people in an organization right now. And those IT people have to go out into the homes of various people in the organizations, head coaches, general managers. I think those IT people have to be a little nervous about venturing out, maintaining social distance. And there are head coaches and general managers nervous about having them in their homes. Even though they work within the same organization, there's a lot of work that has to go on from now until the draft two weeks from Thursday night. And these IT people are doing a lot of work to get everything ready and coordinated because this has never been done before. So that's a short-term concern. And then, of course, there's the concern of draft night. Had one GM say that his internet went out last week. What if that happens again? And they're putting systems into place so that if the GM's uh, internet goes down, that he gets it to the head coach or the pro personnel director. They're sorting through all these things. But I think that they put it in good perspective right there. Cliff Kingsbury did saying that there are bigger concerns in the world. Yeah, still uh, no changes to the time, to the time you're on the clock. So if those technological issues happen, you have just have to move forward. The comments Adam Schefter is referencing there are from Arizona Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury, who uh, didn't seem too stressed about it. I think that there are challenges, but it's nothing compared to what the rest of the world is facing. And, you know, doctors and, and nurses and people working in stores. I mean, this is, you got to keep things in perspective. It's football. So there will be adjustments to be made, but we'll, we'll be able to call and text. And for the most part, we're, we're at our houses watching film and doing the same draft prep we do in our office, just without the, the human interaction. That uh, also might be the comments of somebody who's pretty tech literate or doesn't feel uncomfortability there also with security issues, which is the main concern that Baltimore Ravens head coach John Harbaugh brought up yesterday. Yeah, big concern. Uh, My level of involvement has been every time I read something like the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times that talks about how messed up Zoom is or some of these other deals like we came out this morning, I immediately text it to our IT people. And uh, Nick Matteo is one of those guys. And they assure me that we are we are doing everything humanly possible. And I remind them that uh, that's what Wells Fargo and all those other places said about our private information. So I've got some real concerns about that. And uh, hopefully we'll be OK. That's kind of kind of like that. You know, uh, we'll see what happens. I really wouldn't want the opposing coaches to have our playbook or our draft meetings. That would be preferable. We can stay away from that. Remember, too, Baltimore Ravens uh, hiring, I believe, four full-time analytics people last year to help them with their decision-making process. So some of that could be a concern over their draft evaluation and proprietary information they have and how they scout talent. Um, or, you know, this we saw with the Astros and Cardinals scandal that happened several years ago, that information is valuable and to the lengths that people are willing to go to potentially steal that information. Michael Jr. also talking about there's going to be some NFL coaches that will be playing catch up with the technology. I just love the idea of Cliff Kingsbury going full support the troops, pay the teachers on this answer. And then the I'm young, I know how to do all this stuff because there is going to be that divide in this is the people that are more well-versed in this, the people who have been prepared for things like this. And we're likely doing a lot of this remotely for certain reasons anyway. And the people playing total catch up with all of this right now. 
Oklahoma State head football coach Mike Gundy said yesterday that his goal is to return to the football building on May 1st because he thinks and hopes that tests for COVID-19 will be widely available in a couple of weeks and that that will allow them to clear both employees and players. A proposed timetable, though, that Oklahoma State University and its athletic director quickly disputed yesterday. Mike Gundy was speaking in a teleconference to more than a dozen reporters and said, uh, although it would depend on on whether there'll be enough tests available in three or four weeks that he could get his assistant coaches and support personnel tested for the virus. It was his full intention that his team, quote, start on May 1st. Here was Gundy from yesterday. There's a lot of smart people in this country that are now working, and I'm thinking in three or four weeks we could have the test ready and available for people that aren't sick based on can we test the employees, the 100 people that work in our building, and we can swab them and clear them to come into the building and get back to work. Once we've done that, I'm looking to start testing the players and bring them back. How fast that can happen based on the tests that are available, I can't say right now, but that's the plan. Gundy also, with some other thoughts, it was about a 20-minute opening statement, according to those reporters, talking about how he believes young people can fight this. But from what I read, the healthy people can fight this, the antibodies make it better. They're doing some um, some uh, blood transplants now with the people that have already gotten the disease, that have gotten over it, that have had the antibodies that can fight it. So there's a lot of smart people that are going to figure this out. May 1's our goal. Don't know if it'll happen. Players come in soon after that. Gundy, finally, uh, with these comments. Is it 100%? No, it's not 100%. Okay? But there could be people that work in this building that maybe are older, maybe have some type of underlying health condition. Maybe they don't come back. But the majority of the people in this building who are healthy, and certainly the 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds that are healthy, the so-called medical uh, people that are saying the herd, the herd of healthy people that have the antibodies maybe built up that can fight this, we all need to go back to work. Immediately, just about following Gundy's comments, the university issued a statement saying that the decision about when to bring the football team back together wouldn't be up to the coach. They said, quote, we will adhere to the advice of public health experts who are making informed decisions in the best interest of the citizens of our nation and state based on sound scientific data. We will also abide by the federal and state mandates as well as Big 12 guidelines. We will not compromise the health and well-being of our campus community. This virus is deadly and we will do our part at Oklahoma State to help blunt the spread. Athletic Director Mike Holder also declined to comment uh, or support Gundy's timeline, saying in a statement that May 1st seems a little ambitious. This is a time, yes, when deferring to medical professionals uh, is is the key and information is the key. I, I refer to Adam Silver's comments, NBA commissioner, too, about uh, he feels like he knows less about this today than he did at the start. That's because the situation is so fluid. Things are rapidly changing and deferring to health professionals at this time. The most important thing up next on the Blitz. Well, some thought that the MLB's plans to have games back by May 1st or sorry, not May 1st. Now I'm getting Gundy's timeline confused, but back by May was very ambitious and to some of them more passionate than others. I'll play you some, some interesting audio from Keith Lott's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Liddy Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, April 8th. 
I've been really enjoying the Mariners Classic re-airs on 710 nightly and also watching past games on Root Sports or ESPN or MLB Network. I'm desperate for baseball games right now, as many of us are. And this time of year, it's usually uh, spent watching those nightly with loved ones. I might have even been scoring an old baseball game the other day. I'm not desperate at all, Lydia. But of course, much smaller in comparison to what's going on in the world right now. When we heard yesterday, Jeff Passan writing this article on ESPN.com that there were some proposals being thrown around for baseball to return. And one of those proposals centered around a May deadline that would require basically playing in isolation, playing in a biosphere of sorts in Arizona for all 30 teams. No fans in the stands. Uh, and Jeff Passan yesterday, more on that biosphere. Well, the idea is that in order to protect both the health of the players, coaches, managers, and other staff who are going to be there, as well as the public, you are going to insulate everybody involved in this plan from contact with the outside world. Now, that seems like a crazy thing to have to do and to tell a thousand plus players, Ravi, that you're not going to be anywhere aside from the hotel and the ballpark. Are they really going to abide by that? That's a question only that the players and the people involved can answer. And one that if this gets past the players voting yes for it is going to be at the forefront of people's minds. Passon saying that getting players behind this was the number one obstacle. So that will be part of the discussion that MLBPA and MLB will be entrenched in. Jeff Passon also on ESPN Daily, the podcast with Mina Kimes, which is excellent. Hopefully you are subscribed. He talked about the risk slash reward of this potential plan. The risk could be great. Like if, if you have a giant spread throughout a clubhouse, it is a disaster for baseball. An absolute disaster. So uh, while the reward of being back first is, is huge, the risk there is enormous as well. But uh, I think ultimately baseball just wants to get back. Also talking about it's highly unlikely that no one would contact contract the virus under this plan. They're going to have expanded rosters under this plan. Uh, coaches, managers, umpires, bus drivers, people who are cooking the food, hotel workers. We can go on and on and on about the number of people who have to abide by this plan to make it work. And the discipline that that would take is so extraordinary that I think a seamless summer in which games are played and a player doesn't contract coronavirus or someone involved doesn't contract coronavirus is really unlikely. Passing, um, was one of those commenters that said that even though he wrote about this plan, he was a little skeptical about it. Our own Shannon Dreyer, Mariners insider on 710 yesterday, talking about how it seemed unrealistic to her as well. But Keith Law of The Athletic may be taking the cake on this one, saying there will absolutely not be games played in May in his mind. Well, two things. One, that's not going to happen. Two, uh, that what was leaked to the press, the Associated Press also had a bit of this story, was merely one idea that has been kicked around in Major League Baseball as they're trying to come up with ways to play a partial season. No one is playing any actual games anywhere in May. The people who think that are delusional. They are simply ignoring all of the scientific evidence we have so far and the best models that we have. Uh, there's no way there's going to be any kind of public gatherings. Even if Major League Baseball wanted to push it, the union has to agree to it. Of course, they're not going to agree to it. They're not going to agree to have 40 or 50 people gathering together in clubhouses 
every day. That is uh, exactly the opposite of what we should be doing because we're not going to be over this pandemic by the time we get to mid-May or so. I think we'll be lucky if we have any games at all, with or without fans, before July, but it's definitely not happening in May. Keith Law of The Athletic saying people who believe this plan will work are delusional. Obviously, people are going to click on stories like this. This is a pretty outrageous story, right? It's getting a lot of attention because it's so absurd, because I think people are viewing it two ways. You've got people who sort of acknowledge the reality of the situation, those of us who are just trying to follow what the actual experts say and recognize the idea of playing games in May is a pipe dream. There are also plenty of people out there who are in denial, you know, coronavirus truthers, essentially, who are saying, yeah, open the economy back up, get everybody back out there without fully acknowledging it's going to result in a lot of hospitalizations and deaths. And that's what would happen if we tried to even play games without fans, I think, regardless of the sport. People who push this uh, probably probably don't quite understand just how many people are involved simply to make a game happen before you let a single fan in the stadium. That's a lot of people together in fairly enclosed spaces in clubhouses, not just the players, coaches, clubhouse staff, some stadium operations personnel. Somebody's got to be there to turn the lights on. All of those people would then be put at risk for this. And I think you've got to be in pretty deep denial to think that there's any chance of that happening in six or seven weeks from now. Keith Law, obviously passionate about this one, and he said don't expect fans this year in baseball, but best-case scenario, July 1st. Realistic best-case scenario is games without fans July 1st-ish. Yeah, give me a little leeway on that in either direction, but that's probably about what we see. There's maybe some slight chance we see fans in stadiums at the end of the year, maybe for the playoffs, but realistically, probably not. I think public health authorities would be opposed to that, short of a vaccine uh, or much better evidence that people who've already been exposed to COVID-19 then have some kind of lasting immunity and an inability to transmit it, which I don't think is that likely. My guess is that government authorities would say you can have the games, you can broadcast the games, but you can't have public gatherings having thousands and thousands of people because they know we've seen outbreak. There were three outbreaks in Kansas this week that were all tied to churches. A lot more people in a Major League Baseball stadium for a playoff game than there would be in a single church. And public health authorities will want to avoid that at all costs. That was Keith Law's idea and take on the plan that was uh, surfaced or leaked yesterday. Uh, More thoughts on it coming up later in this hour. But up next on the Blitz, we're replaying a lot of fun classic games this week. The ALDS 1995. Joey Cora was on yesterday uh, to discuss playing that series in the kingdom. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is the Blitz. And the 0-1 pitch on the way to Edgar Martinez. Swung on the line, down the left field line for a base hit. Here comes Joey. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Mariners are going to play for the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. Welcome back to the Blitz at Six. Woody Cruz alongside with you Wednesday, April 8th. Always makes you feel better to hear Niehaus and, of course, arguably the most famous play in Mariners history. Game five of the ALDS, that Edgar winning hit. Joey Cora on base for that, rounding the bases for that double. And he joined Tom Jake and Stacey yesterday to talk about this series 
710 ESPN is uh, airing a lot of Mariners classics every evening. So if you miss baseball, it's a chance to relive some of your favorites. Tonight, it will be the ALDS uh, Game 5 of that series. Joey Cora joining Tom, Jake, and Stacey yesterday. You know what's interesting about that series in general, Joey, is that I think a lot of people thought going into it, you know, Yankee Stadium would be real intimidating to you guys because, you know, you're new, you haven't been in the playoffs before. But as I remember watching it, I think the Kingdome was more intimidating to the Yankees just because it was just so frenzied and so loud. What are your memories of those last three games, just the environment at the Kingdome? No, without a doubt. That's that's no question about it. Uh, We played the Yankees the first two games. And it was loud, no doubt about it. Uh, game one, I, I kind of barely remembered because that, that 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 game we played, we were so tired. We the day before we played the Angels, and you know we won the game, and then we took a plane across the country and played the Yankees the very next day. Uh, I remember getting there to New York like at six or seven in the morning to play that night. So actually, I'd be honest, we we didn't have a chance that game one. But the place in the Yankee Stadium was loud. And game two was even louder. And the way they finished in the end of the game on game two, it was loud. But, man, the kingdom, it was a difference maker. I mean, you, the, the players on the other team, the Yankees, they, they all say the same thing, too. I mean, they, when they went there, they didn't know. They had no idea that the kingdom could be that loud. And game one with Randy, the kingdom, uh, the place was unbelievable. And then when one, you know, the game, the game two at the kingdom and Edgar hitting that grand slam, you couldn't hear anything because the play, the, the, the fans were crazy. And obviously game five was unreal, but the kingdom, it, it was a difference maker. We, we didn't play at the kingdom and, and the stadium that, you know, the new stadium is beautiful and everything. I tell you, it's beautiful, but being in the kingdom inside and the sound and everything. He, he was a difference maker in that series, without a doubt. Without the kingdom, we don't win that series. We don't. We're talking to Joey Cora, former Mariner second baseman here on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, uh, just sharing some memories of the 95 ALDS and beyond. I'm, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned having to fly back and forth and you played that one-game playoff against the Angels. When you got into the series – with the Yankees, did you guys feel like you were going to win? I mean, you're a pretty talented team. You got future Hall of Famers all over the place. Did you guys feel like you were going to win? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We were we were confident that we could win that series without a doubt, no, no, no doubt. I and mean, even even when uh, we went down two nothing, you know, all two against the Yankees, we we were very confident. We were a very confident bunch. And uh, and the, you know the the way that the season unfolded, the way we came back all the way back to win the, the division. I mean, being all down 0-2 all in that series against the Yankees, uh, it, it was nothing for us, especially because we know we were going to have to play three games at the, in the kingdom. We knew that. It's different from now. This, this day and age, you play the first two games in one, one place, the next two games in the other place, and then you fly back and play again in the other part. But in this, in this particular time, you play two games in the first place, and then you go for three games, Max, and the other one. So we know we had three games at the Kingdom, and we were very confident. We know we could win that series, and uh, we, we were in every game. Even for game one, David Collins, he, he was awesome. 
but we know we were tired. We we had no shot. But after that, man, I mean, we we should have won game two. We lost, and then after that, we know we had Randy. So basically, the the, the series was two two one in our minds uh, when we played game four because we know Randy wasn't going to lose that game. So after that, hey, you, you keep on playing, and even though I, I want to say in game two we maybe we were down five. I mean, in game two in the kingdom we were down five nothing. Maybe I don't know. And we came all the way back. So, uh, you know, we, 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 we knew we had a good team. We knew we were really good. And we, yeah, we, we were confident that we could win, win that series. That confidence paid off. Joey Cora, of course, part of that incredible series. And you can also catch that game tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle, 7 p.m., and also on Root Sports as well if you want to watch and listen at the same time. Uh, sometimes I like to do that, put on the TV, switch back and forth, uh, because there's also just a little magic to hearing those radio calls. Also, yesterday, our own Mariners insider, Shannon Dreyer, talking about the latest from the Major League Baseball uh, rumors about the league trying to come back as early as May. Shannon saying she doesn't believe this would be workable. But what do you make of this plan for, for the baseball fans out there that, that haven't read it or heard about it? If you could summarize the plan that, that was being reported for, for Major League Baseball and then give us a thought as to whether you think it's feasible or not. Well, it was pretty shocking news to come out last night from Jeff Passan that there was a, a plan um, that Major League Baseball, and he said that the players also had been focusing on, is how he put it. And it was it involved a lot of things that I think that we had been hearing about for a while, but we thought were further down the road in that um, if the COVID-19 spread the way that we all thought it would, you know, when all the camps closed down, and it has, uh, maybe the only possibility for baseball to get going would be to have it all in one place. And uh, that is a plan that apparently Major League Baseball has been looking into for over two weeks right now. And that place would be Arizona. It would involve putting all 30 teams in Arizona playing in the spring training complexes, playing at Chase Field, uh, expanding rosters because you wouldn't be able to take from the minor leagues. You'd have to have everybody basically in one place. There would have to be massive testing. Uh, teams would each stay at different hotels, and it would be basically go to the ballpark, play your game, go back to the hotel. You'd be quarantined uh, anytime you were not at the field, and then to get into the field and to play the games, there would be elaborate screening, very limited staffs, and, of course, no fans in the stands. And there were some things floated out there that they would go so far as uh, implement the electronic strike zone so the umpire would not have to stand directly behind the catcher and the hitter that they would not utilize the dugouts instead the players would sit six feet apart in the stands that would be empty because the fans wouldn't be there and it would be an attempt to get as many games in as possible so that's the plan that was laid out how feasible is that well there are obviously a lot of different obstacles um it's you know to, to ask players to uproot for four and a half months and we don't know yet if families would be involved, but it's hard to see that they would fit into that bubble as they're trying to keep it that small. But if you're keeping everybody uh, in a hotel and basically isolating them from their families for four and a half months, how does that work for them? Logistically, it's something that you could do that they, they have the facilities down there, uh, both to play the games and to house all of the teams. You definitely could play some sort of a, a schedule, but... Are you going to have the rapid testing that is going to be necessary before these games are played? 
um, those kinds of things, the health aspect of it, and then also the player aspect, and is this something they're going to be willing to do? And that's the area where it's pretty shaky. Uh, Andy Martino um, of the SNY Network reported about an hour or two hours ago that this has been in the works for 18 days right now and that yesterday was the first day that the Players Association was approached with this. And I think that when they came up with their agreement, you heard that all sides were on the same page. They wanted to play as many games as possible. This sounds very extreme. I, I don't think it sounds realistic at all if you look around and if you see what the world situation and the U.S. situation is right now, that you would be able to pull this off in May. Um, is it worth exploring to see if it's something that could be done as time goes on later in the summer well if they're this far down the road with it if, if the players are interested in it um i i would say yes but the may sounds like a pretty ambitious and aggressive deadline or, or, or start date and shannon we're talking about broadcasting this game these games correct oh yes there would be no fans yeah. in the stands but they would be yeah there would be television i would assume okay. radio broadcast i don't know if the broadcasters would even be there they might be re, you know broadcasting remotely uh -huh. uh, in, in an order yeah. again to keep the groups as small as possible mariners insider shannon dreyer on with bob david moore yesterday full interview available at 710sports.com just click on that podcast tab up next on the blitz in the hot list, we've got more news on the NFL draft. Coaches reacting quite differently to the prospect of a virtual draft. Also, the Tampa Bay Bucks revealing their new unis yesterday. No, they're not the creamsicle colors from the earliest days. A couple of people hoping for those, me among them. Also, Pete Carroll with his thoughts on the draft. And then one other name the Seahawks have been tied to, Yannick Ngakwe. He was on NFL Live yesterday in case you missed it. And something that might spell good for Seattle uh, he wants to go to a competitor. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Following a controversial tweet by former Cougs head coach, current Mississippi State head coach Mike Leach, the athletic director John Cohen issued a statement yesterday saying there is a plan in place to provide the first-year coach with opportunities to, quote, expand his cultural awareness of Mississippi. Leach's tweet, which depicted a woman knitting a noose for her husband during self-quarantine, was criticized by several Bulldogs players. Leach deleted the tweet, posted... Uh, and then issued an apology saying, quote, I sincerely regret if my choice of images in my tweets were found offensive. I had no intention of offending anyone. Defensive lineman Fabian Lovett even entered the transfer portal uh, after this tweet. And his father told uh, the local newspaper that he didn't feel comfortable with son playing for Mike Leach. Um, as for Cohen's statement, they said that Mississippi State was disappointed in the use of such an image in a tweet by uh, by Leach and that Leach will participate in, quote, listening sessions with students, alumni and community groups and will take guided visits to the Museum of Mississippi History and the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum once it is allowed. Pete Carroll reflecting on his time. I thought this was kind of cool between being a college coach and being a professional coach. Some criticisms of him in the past have been that he is too player-friendly and that uh, his positivity, his optimism is 
more hmm, appropriate or I don't know, they uh, more appropriate for college for the college crowd in the past. But Pete saying um, talking about what it's like to go from transitioning players out of college and then to start watching full careers and even careers come to a close here in Seattle as a professional coach as well. Um, he said, here is the difference between the two. Letting the seniors go. That was just part of the process. You know, you coach them up and you let them go. But to see guys, it's a little bit different because the the difference was that you had they had another career coming up and their football days weren't dead and, and gone for the most part. But here, guys' careers ended, you know, and, and so that's a that's a different part of the cycle that not every coach gets a chance to live through. Pete Carroll was on Sirius XM Radio and talked about how he wasn't prepared to start watching careers end. It was hard to see that that thing come by, and not, I wasn't prepared for that very well. You know, I, I didn't I didn't see that coming, and uh, so you know, I love these guys. And these guys, they they gave us everything they had and, and did everything they could possibly do to be as great as they could be. And we went for it, and we and we accomplished a lot and all that. And then it's over. You know, that was the hard yeah. part. Said he it was difficult to watch players transition out of the league, but he was glad that he could be there for them and be a part of that transition, help aid them in that transition. As for uh, college players that played with Pete, Matt Leiner recently saying, uh, Pete Carroll, we know he always competes, but that he is also uh, maybe one of the dirtiest basketball players uh, that he's ever played against. Pete was the dirtiest basketball player. And, and we used to play just like, we'll foul the hell out of you, but doesn't, but but if you, I mean, he's just like one of those, he never gets fouled, but he'll call the foul. He'll elbow you on a pick, you know, to come in or screen you, he'll elbow you. But, um, and, and obviously he's, he's the ultra competitor. We know that. Ultra competitor. He's even going to bring competition to this year's NFL draft when it is in its virtual stage. Of course, competition part of every draft. But Pete admitting that it's going to be really different this time around. Everything online and players, GMs, personnel separated, having to use technology to communicate. It's going to be fascinating, really. <laughs> uh, it won't be. I don't know that it's going to be as much fun because you won't be in the same room with all the guys. All the things happen in the interview to get fired up. People are scrambling and battling and all that, and the comments are flying. It'll be different in that regard, um, but um, we'll figure it out. You know, we'll get it done. <laughs> yeah, you are awesome. It's, it's, yeah, it's going to be amazing. Pete saying, as different as this will be, that they're definitely going to be prepared. It's relative. However, we're trying to work to figure it out, too. You know, Pat, we want to, where can we find the edge? Where can we find the, the opportunity to, you know, to to get the information that we need when maybe somebody else wouldn't get it. That's what is fun about this time. You know, it is. It's a total competition. It's, it's the wild, wild west a little bit. we got to figure it out. we all got guidelines and rules and all. But that doesn't mean that there aren't ways in there that you can't figure out how to get what you need to get. So uh, Johnny's you know, prepared that he's not going to have as much as normal, and they won't have the normal process that he would have. But yet we're going to try to max that out in every way that we can. Yeah, the information on draft draft prospects will definitely be different. That information gathering process uh, will definitely be different and more limited. We heard earlier this week that a lot of people expecting, including uh, Buffalo's GMs, expecting that there'll be less trades in this year's draft because of the limit on information and just leaning towards more being more conservative. Pete Carroll explaining what he believes will happen when it comes to trades. What happens there? Is every pick has a has a value. I'm 
probably talk to your listeners about this, but every yeah. pick has a value, and each team has their 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 sense of what that pick is, is valued at. There's kind of a chart that we work from, and not everybody uses exactly the same thing, but uh, all of that has to be added up in total right at the moment, and you're looking across the table at a guy who's talking to the other club, and he's scribbling down the numbers, and he hands them across to John, and we're sitting there looking, okay, which way are we going? we got three cards. Which one are we going with? Well, if anything happens, any glitch in that <laughs> happens, you know, we're going to be zooming, and we'll be looking at guys on the screen, and we're going to, you know, we're going to try to see as much eye-to-eye contact as we can. We've got to read the card. The card will not be handed to us because the person's going to be in a different location. And so there's some, you know, there's just stuff to be worked out. More importantly, what is Pete going to change his background to? What's going to be the custom background? Don't let me down on this one, Pete. Adam Schefter saying yesterday that IT staff and coaches are both alike are concerned about the virtual draft, whether it's just logistics of it working or it is the security aspect. As Baltimore Ravens head coach John Harbaugh brought up yesterday, his concern on there being some security breaches. Yeah, big concern. Uh, My level of involvement has been Every time I read something like the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times that talks about how messed up Zoom is or some of these other deals like we came out this morning, I immediately text it to our IT people. And uh, Nick Matteo is one of those guys. And they assure me that we are we are doing everything humanly possible. And I remind them that uh, that's what Wells Fargo and all those other places said about our private information. So... I've got some real concerns about that, and uh, hopefully we'll be okay. That's kind of kind of like that, you know. Uh, we'll see what happens. I really wouldn't want the opposing coaches to have our playbook or our draft meetings. That would be preferable. We can stay away from that. On the opposite side of things, Cliff Kingsbury saying the adjustments, they aren't bad, especially when viewed in the context of everything else going on. I think that there are challenges, but it's nothing compared to what the rest of the world is facing and, you know, doctors and, and nurses and people working in stores. I mean, this is, you got to keep things in perspective. It's football. So there will be adjustments to be made, but we'll, we'll be able to call and text. And for the most part, we're, we're at our houses watching film and doing the same draft prep we do in our office just without the, the human interaction. So one of the younger coaches, uh, a little more relaxed about it there, uh, the Arizona Cardinals head coach. We'll see what happens and how this plays out. Kevin Garnett recently voted into the Basketball Hall of Fame, but he is not entertaining the idea of the Minnesota Timberwolves retiring his number, his number 21. He spent 14 of his 21 NBA seasons in Minnesota, including the first 12. But he says he still hasn't forgiven team owner Glenn Taylor after a split in 2016. That was very unpleasant. He said, quote, Glenn knows where I'm at. I'm not entertaining it. First of all, it's not genuine. Two, he's getting pressure from a lot of fans. And I guess the community there, this is a quote from Garnett to The Athletic, said, Glenn and I had an understanding before former team president Flip, Flip Saunders died. And when Flip died, that understanding went with Flip. For that, I won't forgive Glenn. I won't forgive him for that. I thought he was a straight-up person, straight-up businessman. And when Flip died, everything went with him. Um, Ended up retiring in September 2016 after a tense buyout negotiation with Taylor. And while he gave love and credit to Minnesota that his heart will always be there, will always be a special place for the city of Minneapolis and the state of Minnesota in his heart, He said, quote, I don't do business with snakes. I try not to do business with openly snakes or people who are snake-like. Defensive end Yannick Ngakwe wants out of Jacksonville. This much we know. 
Jacksonville looking to trade him as well. And according to some of the latest reports, they are looking for a steep price, a first rounder and more. Yannick Ngakwe was on NFL Live yesterday talking about what makes him a top two or three defensive end. Well, getting sacks is uh, uh, a thing that people always harp on, getting sacks. But it's not about always getting sacks. It's about getting the ball out. And for a player that's on the defensive side of the ball to be able to get the ball out, uh, it's basically making him an offensive player. And I look at myself as an offensive guy because when our offense is... Any offense I play with, when they're in uh, detrimental situations, they look at me to get the ball back. And if I can get the ball back for them, it just gives them another opportunity to be able uh, to win the game for us. For any team that's interested in him, they can expect his disruption, that he is going to get to the ball. And then this is the comment that I thought was particularly uh, at least positive, optimistic when it comes to the Seahawks. If you are one of the people advocating for him here in Seattle, depending on how things go with Jadevin Clowney, Yannick Ngakwe saying he wants to go to a team with a good culture where winning is a habit. This is similar to comments that Clowney made uh, in the locker room on his final day here in Seattle that he wants to go to a contender and Ngakwe echoing those. Well, I'm not really sure what team uh, I will be landing at, but uh, what type of team that I would love to join is a team that has great culture. Uh, I really want to be a part of a team that has great culture and winning is a habit. I don't want to be part of a team where uh, losing is 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 a norm or anything of that nature. I want to be uh, part of something special. Also, I just want to uh, go to a place where the community, I can uh, make a great impact in the community and uh, just reach out to younger people uh, that look up to me. Everyone hoping to get sports back. We heard MLB's plan to try to have games back by May, although many people think it's unrealistic. Well, yesterday, Oklahoma State head coach Mike Gundy said that his goal is to return to the football building on May 1st. He hopes that tests will be readily and widely available for COVID-19 in a few weeks, and that will allow him to clear both employees and players. It was, though, a timeline that the university and the athletic director quickly came out and disputed. But Mike Gundy on here are those comments from him speaking to reporters. But from what I read, the healthy people can fight this. The antibodies make it better. They're doing some... um, some uh, blood transplants now with the people that have already gotten the disease, that have gotten over it, that have had the antibodies that can fight it. So there's a lot of smart people that are going to figure this out. May 1's our goal. Don't know if it'll happen. Players come in soon after that. Well, it won't happen, at least according to the university, who immediately issued a statement saying that the decision about when to bring the football team back together wouldn't be up to the coach, and they're deferring to public health experts at this time. That's a wrap for the hot list in the entire Blitz at 6 hour. Thanks for hanging out this hour and listening. And remember, please stay safe out there. My friends, we'll see you back here soon. Danny and Gallant next, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.